0: We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. This program is part one of our conversation with Gene Mott-Oxford, who prefers to go by JMO, organizer and lead campaign strategist for MCU, and Alan Harris-Dalt, a leader with the MCU Legislative Task Force. The Missouri Legislature is in full swing, and today we're going to talk about bills that MCU and our partners are advocating for to bring about a better and healthier and restorative society, and we'll also discuss redistricting and the ongoing attempt to undo Medicaid expansion. Well, JMO and Alan, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks, Kevin. It is great to be with you.
0: Good to be here. Briefly, let's just start off. Uh, let's set the priorities that MCU has legislatively this year. So we have four
1: uh, specific priorities that we're looking at from the state legislature. One is to get lead out of school drinking water. Another is to stop bills that attempt to whitewash the history of racism in the United States and around the world. A third priority we have is to protect the initiative petition process because we believe that that's a fundamental asset of Missouri's democracy. And we also want to restore the rights that you know, it seems like we continue to dangle in front of formerly incarcerated people who return to their families and our communities. Um, you know, we, we hold them out there and say, oh, you know, you can you can rejoin society. And then we, we seem to just yank those back. And we're specifically looking at things like voting rights and the right to have uh, uh, to, to have a criminal record expunged after you've you've done what the courts have said you needed to do for that. Um, there are also a couple of local issues that may eventually call for action with the state legislature, but uh, those are probably not going to come up this session. But we're still keeping an eye. On those. Uh, one of those is illegal dumping in neighborhoods around the region. We know that's a problem for a lot of, of people. Uh, we've heard that from our neighbors. And uh, the second local issue that we're looking at is a high concentration of particulates in the air that we breathe, because uh, that's led to significant health problems for, for people in our area. Um, so, yeah, we, we won't likely see state action on those, but as we learn more about these issues and we Figure out some strategies that we can use to to make lives better for the people that we come in contact with. Uh, we may move to inspire action in Jefferson City on those.
0: So let's start with uh, getting lead out of drinking water. And and the great thing about this this effort is that it comes with a built in catchphrase: get the lead out, uh, <laughs> which which makes it easy for people to remember. But really, this this is shaping up to be a. Win-win for both sides of the aisle potentially uh, a place where people can come together and actually do some some good for for kids across the state. Um, so there are two bills that have been introduced to deal with lead in drinking water. What are they and who's sponsoring them and and where do they stand right now?
2: Well, I I think uh, it's good to bring up the both sides of the aisle thing. It's uh, it's a good time to remind folks that we're thoroughly nonpartisan uh, that we are about uh, speaking out for justice. Uh, And we we talked to both sides of the aisle. Um, We are we are not um, uh, here about partisan politics at all. Uh, The person who first filed a bill on this is Representative Paula Brown, uh, who's uh, a Democrat from the Hazelwood area. She filed uh, House Bill 1466 the get the lead out of school water act back on December 1st, which is the first day you can file a bill that shows shows you she was anxious to get this into discussion. It was a real priority for her. Um, Later, she discovered that the language needed to be tweaked just a little bit, um, and so she refiled it as House Bill 2610. That bill uh, has not yet been uh, assigned to committee, unfortunately. Uh, Representative Dottie Bailey uh, from the Majority Party, uh, a Republican from Eureka, filed House Bill 2532 in January. People in the Majority Party often have the ability to to move their legislation uh, to a committee and to a hearing faster. Uh, Her bill has been assigned to the the Committee on Conservation and Natural Resources. We actually thought uh, that it uh, was going to have a hearing uh, back on February 7th, uh, but that did not happen. Uh, It got postponed. Uh, We're still hoping for uh, a a hearing to happen in in February and and to to move it on through before we get to um, the spring break time, which is in in March. Um, uh, At the time that we're, we're, we're taping this, we're still in February, but The conventional wisdom of it is if you don't get a bill passed by in one chamber by spring break, you're going to have real trouble getting it all the way to the the end by mid-May when the the legislature goes home. So um, uh, those are the the bills that are out there. And we are basically asking our supporters to reach out to their own state representative and to ask uh, their state representative to co-sponsor these bills. There's an electronic form they can fill out to tell Representative Bailey and Representative Brown that they want to co-sponsor House Bill 2532 and House Bill 2610. And the more legislators that sign on to those bills, the more ability we have to get to the magic number. We have to get 82 votes at least in the House to pass this, to get it to go over to the Senate side. So we want to to convince a lot of our legislators that this is a great idea because that prepares them to vote yes when there's floor debate. Uh, So that's uh, something that folks could be doing right now, is to reach out to their own state representative.
0: And we'll make sure to post some links to take action um, in, in the description for this podcast. So, whatever, whatever uh, platform you're listening to this on, uh, check, check the description and, and you can click through on those. So, and there, there's some funding uh, for this that we're talking about too, specifically in, uh, in relationship to money coming from the federal government, from uh, what, uh, COVID relief, or where, where exactly is that, that money falling from?
2: Yeah, people may remember uh, early in the pandemic there was something passed called the American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA for short, ARPA. Um, so you know, often what would happen on a bill like this is, is people from both sides of the aisle would say, "Yeah, I want to make it where kids don't drink water with lead in it, but we can't afford it." That would be the normal response. But there's money there right now that we could be spending out of this ARPA uh, uh, funding, and uh, in fact, we have we have had um, uh, folks go to testify to the the Subcommittee on Federal Stimulus Spending, and asked for $25 million to be applied toward uh, putting filters uh, on, on school fountains so that they're, they're safe for, pe- for people to drink out of. Um, so the money is there. Uh, it's, it's not going to force us to, like, you know, kick grandma out of the nursing home or stop having school buses for kids in order to do this, because it's a pot of money that the federal government says can be used specifically for schools, specifically for remed- remediation, uh, it's you know it's a very allowable uh, kind of use of the funds and the kind of thing that our governor says that he wants to do uh, kind of special one time product projects that fix something instead of obligating us to future spending it would fix a problem and and fix it permanently instead of having to do something in the future and that's a, a very very good thing uh, once this ARPA money is spent though there's the infrastructure bill also approved by the federal government money that's coming to Missouri we don't you know, have it all like sent to Missouri yet, but that also had a pot of money for lead remediation uh, and infrastructure. It was an infrastructure bill. We can do some more. We can, you know, hopefully get a $25 million uh, remedy made now and then reach some more schools later with the infrastructure funds when they come.
0: And since there are two bills, are there any differences between the two bills?
2: They are slightly different. Uh, The Brown bill uh, is a filter-first bill uh, that uh, basically presumes we have such a lot, widespread problems with lead in Missouri that we should just put the filters on and then test to make sure that everything worked well uh, uh, to, to bring the exposure to lead down to less than one part per billion, which is where the American Academy of Pediatrics says is a, would be the, the only safe level, uh, basically, is, is something that low. Uh, the Bailey bill presumes that you'd kind of need to prove there's a problem before you put the filters on. And she basically is concerned about whether her colleagues, who are very fiscally conservative, are going to buy the idea that you put a filter on until you prove that there's a problem. But the thing is, we do have data from a lot of school districts showing a lab problem. And do we want to spend money on testing when it's, when it's already there's been enough testing out there to show that there are issues? Or do we want to hurry, quickly put on um, uh, the filters uh, and make sure that our kids are safe? The other thing is I've learned about testing that testing isn't exactly reliable and that we could test today and it would look like this fountain is all right and come back in three months, come back in a year and test again. And it's, it's got a problem. Well, why? A number of things happen. Something breaks down within the fountain, some solder uh, crumbles, uh, the pH uh, level in the local water supply uh, is changed by how the water treatment plant is doing their protocols and so suddenly there's more corrosion happening in, in, in water lines. And so you, you don't want a kid thinking, well, this is, our, the, for that matter, the school administrator thinking our fountains are safe because they were tested and then not, not retested in, in, uh, in, a, in a short amount of time and discover if it's still okay, because it may not be okay. So why not just put the filter on?
0: Okay, great. I'm going to move on to the next topic. This is another positive uh, effort that, that MCU is behind. So we're a little bit more playing offense on this instead of defense. But let's talk about some of the expungement expansion legislation that's out there. There was a little bit of expungement expansion last spring, and we're asking uh, this time for a little bit more. There are four bills that have been introduced related to expungement of records for people who have been incarcerated. What are they and how, how likely are these measures to advance this year?
1: And yeah, I love how you brought up that you know these are things that while while they may feel like isolated issues, they really are things that people from so many different political perspectives can get behind. We we all, no matter our partisan alliances or what part of the state we live in, or you know, the color of our skin or our gender, we all want people who are part of our communities to have freedom. We want people who are part of our communities to be able to find a good job that's gonna put food on their tables. If, if records are not expunged, they can really get in the way of, of those freedoms for our neighbors. And uh, three of those four bills really stand out for me. Uh, they're all filed in the Senate right now. Uh, so, Senator Brian Williams from St. Louis County has filed uh, Senate Bill 687. Uh, which uh, would set terms for sharing criminal records with legal aid organizations or expungement clinics. Uh, And then Senator Barbara Ann Washington from the Kansas City area has two bills that are specifically connected to expungement for some marijuana-related convictions. Those are SB-793 and SB-856. Our laws say that people should be treated equally, but we know that while drug use is generally equal across races, drug arrests and drug convictions and drug trials are more heavily weighted toward people of color and toward communities that are less uh, financially stable and so you know this is a real place where we can can restore rights to people who have been unjustly targeted we do know that when we've when we've been unjust in the past it's up to us in the present to do something about that and to try to, to fix the wrongs that we've done in the past. And it is wrong to target people just because they don't have the money to fight back or it's it's wrong to ignore people who do have the money to fight back just because it would be harder to, to get a conviction. And we've seen that documented over and over. And so you know, we're hoping that these can, can move through the Senate. Uh, right now, there's been no activity beyond filing uh, they're, they're on the records now uh, with the Senate, but they've not been assigned to a committee or anything beyond that.
2: This is a very common situation, too. Uh, there are 1.9 million Missourians who have either an arrest or a conviction on their record. Um, you know, one way you know that you have an issue where you can make progress is when a lot of people are impacted by it. You have the base that's, that's possible for you to organize that can help you win something. So this is something that way too many Missourians know about. That's close to one out of three Missourians, right? Because there's like six million people in our state. Uh, what's going on related to how long this is going to take is Senator Luke kemeyer who's the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, he's from out just north of Kansas City in the Platt and Buchanan County area. Um, he says, I'm tired of y'all coming back every year, you know, wanting something on expungement why don't you get all the stakeholders together at a table and talk about what you, what you really want and then come back and present, you know, kind of a comprehensive approach to the reform of the seated? Because it's not just about the policy, it's also about the technical parts. Right now, we have a lot of outdated computers in Missouri that don't talk to each other. So how do you make automated expungement possible where, where say, you know, two years after you're released and you've kept your nose clean, they're going to seal your records to make it more possible for you to get a promotion? Uh, the next time you go to look for a job that you can go ahead and move up the ladder or get into an educational program or a housing program where having a felony conviction on your record can hurt you right now. So University of Missouri Kansas City School of Law received a grant to convene that table for those discussions to happen. MCU in Moore Square, our sister organization out in Kansas City, are part of, of the groups that are having those conversations. Conversations will include formerly incarcerated people. And uh, some folks know that MCU has a group called Expo that's formerly incarcerated people that, that are you know, kind of related to our, our umbrella of organizations. Uh, and, and so we are part of those discussions and our goal would be to, um, to, to build consensus around what we need to change, figure out the technology of it and come back and bring uh, ideas to the, the Senate and, and get that passed. But that may be a two to three year process. We have a, a lot of crimes in the, in the category of what can be expunged already in Missouri. The issue is that it's not automatic, and when it's not automatic, a lot of people can't manage it because it takes too much time and money to pull it off. And and when you're struggling because you have an arrest record in your past, having the luxury of that kind of time and money to invest in the process just isn't what you have.
0: Right. This is a good example of something that could take a few sessions, uh, a few Years to get through. We saw that happen with uh, raising the age too. It, right. it took years yeah. and years of work in building those coalitions and uh-huh. and getting the the word out to legislators who may not have even known that this is a this is an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, so I'm going to open it up to any other uh, things that we're paying attention to. Um, if you want to speak a little bit to why things are slowing down in the Senate. Uh, because I think that has to do with another issue we're paying attention to, which is the redistricting process. Is that correct? Yes. yes and, and then is there anything else that, that listeners need to, to just keep the ears open for?
1: So with redistricting, uh, we want to make sure that we remember there's congressional redistricting and there's state house redistricting. Congressional redistricting is decided, the the lines are drawn by the state legislature. The house Fought a little bit over how they wanted to draw those lines, but they ended up passing a, a bill that was what the chair of the Senate committee and the House committee, you know, two, the, each has a chair. They worked on this before session started, brought a map, and the map that passed the House is basically that map. It gets to the Senate, and they um, are putting up a big fuss, and they want to make sure that they get as much power as they can from this. So now there's a fight. You can also split up some counties and they call it uh, cracking districts so that you, you spread out uh, a population who might have some kind of connection with each other and would tend to vote similarly. You split enough of those across different districts and you can control how a, a different political will can win in that district right and so that's that's the fight and you know there's there's a lot behind it um but really a few people want to try and grab lots and lots of power and in the senate it only takes a few people to get stuff going and just like it only takes a few people to stop something
2: well there there have been some fights uh, within the majority caucus in the senate uh last year as well uh and uh some hurt feelings apparently remained and so some people seem to just be kind of playing out their grudges against each other. Um, I would like to flag one other bill uh, that that I think is, is uh, especially offensive to us because we did work so hard to close that, that Medicaid coverage gap and to, to get affordable health care for, for our neighbors who work for low wages, uh, and that's uh, House Joint Resolution uh, 117. This uh, was voted out of the House Budget Committee uh, by party line vote of 22 to 9 uh, on February 7th, and. This is a constitutional amendment that would make it where the legislature can decide whether or not it wants to, to appropriate money to cover that Medicaid expansion population. So um, you may remember that the legislature tried not to fund the Medicaid expansion that we passed overwhelmingly at the, the polls with Amendment 2, uh, and that it, it went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, yes, you got to do it. Uh, the, the people voted that in, and, and, uh, and you have to follow, follow their wishes. Um, and so now the legislature is trying to uh, overturn our victory uh, on Amendment 2 uh, by getting us to pass a constitutional amendment that, um, that would say that, that uh, people on Medicaid are covered only if, if money is appropriated for it, that it's you know, up to the legislature to decide year by year whether they want to cover folks or not. It would also let them set the eligibility standards and impose what's called work requirements. But uh, for those who love the notion of work, uh, the thing to, 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 to notice is the real issue is that it's a work documentation requirement. A whole lot of people work. This is a working population that got covered you know, through what we passed. But can they manage the overwhelming bookkeeping task of turning in documentation week after week to show their pay stubs, to, to, to show... Uh, uh, you know, what about all the self-employed people out there? How do they document that? How do they go get it copied? What if they don't have broadband in, in, in their their neighborhood? What if they don't have you know, Wi-Fi at their house? What if they don't have money for gas to run to the public library to make copies? You know, anything that you've got to send in copies week after week in order to claim a benefit, poor people aren't gonna manage them to get that done just because of what a barrier it is. You're, you're you're trying to raise a family. You're trying to work. Uh, you're trying to maybe go to school, uh, and 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 you add this very bureaucratic red tra- tape thing to it, and people get hurt. So it's just a bad bad idea to add all of this work hour documentation stuff uh, to people with low wages. It, it's it's just just too hard, and people will lose their health coverage. And it's not in any of our interests for people to lose their health coverage. You know, if if my neighbor is uh, has hypertension or, or has diabetes and, and, and they're, they're, they're uh, not able to take care of themselves because they, they can't see a doctor, they can't afford their coverage, uh, eventually they won't be able to work. And then it does increase, increase our social services spending. It, it uh, in, you know, impacts on their families, on their ability to take care of their kids. It strains systems. It, it hurts the quality of, of life in our schools and in their neighborhoods. Uh, it's not good for anybody. Let's just make sure that everybody has access to affordable coverage.
0: I like to remind folks that the, the work requirement in this, in this case is a canard because the expansion of Medicaid actually entices people to join the labor force because it closed that gap between those who could afford insurance on the exchange and those who decided, I will collect regular Medicaid by not working. So by closing the gap, it actually incentivizes employment. People can now take uh, lower wage or lower hour jobs in order to be employed because they know that they're going to be covered uh, healthcare-wise. To remove that benefit is actually going to put more people back on unemployment. And so it it just seems like a weird way to punish um, when it's not necessary. Because yeah. when we passed that initiative, we actually made it easier for people to seek employment in non-traditional ways, um, it, it, uh, whether it be uh, a lower, lower wages or or lower fewer hours because I need to take care of my family, but I need some income. And this is one that hits me personally because I have a cousin who's physically disabled and she's in that she fights those types of gaps all the right. time. Yes. Where it's yeah. like, I would like to be employed, yeah. but if I make too much money, I will yeah. lose coverage. Yeah. And yeah. I have physical disabilities that need the medical coverage. Yes. And yeah. so she has to stop working at some point, right. at some level. Yeah, in order to keep her medical coverage.
2: Yeah, so yeah.
0: covering people medically actually encourages labor, encourages work in the workforce. So that that angers me so much, right? Uh, because yeah. it's it's a lie. It's a flat out lie.
1: And it's important well, to remember the motivation. They're doing it to keep us divided. I am a broken mm-hmm. record. I get it. Right. But they keep us divided. They, yeah. they, we, yeah. they they, want us to point the finger at your cousin. Oh, yeah. she's not working. She's like, no, she's not lazy. She's making the right choice, given the rules that certain right. legislators yeah. have set up for her.
2: Yeah, you use the word entice and, and, and you know, we all, we all use a word that maybe wasn't our, our best choice. She doesn't need an enticement to work. She right. needs a barrier taken out of her way. Right, right. You know, she's being prevented from working by the way that we've set the rules in a way that is just cruel. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's not like we have to beg people to work. You know, people actually, most people actually do like to work or, you know, want to feel productive, yeah. want to contribute. Uh, uh, it's it's when we set it up where people uh, uh, are experience uh, suffering in their life because they try to be employed. Uh, then a lot of times they have to give it up. I mean, years ago, I knew a woman that had to give up her job uh, because uh, she had to be poor enough to get Medicaid for her child with leukemia to get treatment, you know, right. and and we fixed that in Missouri by, by passing an eligibility standard for kids that's more, more generous than our standard for, for adults. We actually do pretty well on our children's standard because advocates demanded it, but we've right. been really horrible to working people. Uh, we, we have set rules where if there were bills introduced that basically said that you had to work at least 20 hours a week, but if you did work 20 hours a week, you made too much money to get the health care. Right. So, right. you know, what was that about? You know, that, right. did and they actually sit down and do the math on this stuff?
0: Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you, JMO. I, I used the wrong word because I think the other thing that we don't acknowledge is that not all work is employment.
2: That's right. It's,
0: it's, it's employment that counts but people who are, are parents uh people who are caring for uh older older relatives uh, people who are just busy at church and in in little leagues and things like that
2: that's all work that's right but it doesn't yeah.
0: get compensation yeah and so that, work it is not always employment yeah and what that's, the, a, that's a precious
2: right? a, a precious point to me my my mother uh when asked you know what do you do would always say oh I don't work and, and she meant I'm not employed outside the home, but my, my, my mother was a farm wife, raised a huge garden, canned it, uh, froze it, you know, put, put up shelf after shelf of food that we ate all year long uh, and, and uh, you know, sewed a lot of our clothing uh, you know, did all of our laundry by hand on an old ringer washer. I never saw anybody work as hard as my mom. One of the reasons I wanted to go to college is I didn't want to wind up like my mom. She only went to seventh grade and I saw how hard your life was when you only went to seventh grade. You know, so uh, you are so right. Uh, um, uh, there is all kinds of work that's not employment and, and we would do well to to say which one we really need. <laughs> right,
1: right. I think the fundamental question is, what kind of life do we want to have for ourselves? Yeah. And what kind of life do we want to enable for ourselves and our neighbors?
2: Yes.
0: And
1: what can we do to get things out of the way that stop the good life? And what can we do to create more opportunities for all of us to take advantage of and, and build a better life for ourselves?
2: Yeah, the Absolutely. gospel say, say that uh, Jesus came that we might have abundant life. Can can we create an abundant life for everyone? All right. uh, one of yes. my favorite one of my favorite communion prayers says that we anticipate the day when sharing by all will mean scarcity for none. That's the world I want to live in. Can we live where sharing by all would mean scarcity for none? Why not? Why not?
0: All right. That sounds like a good, good place to kind of wrap things up. I want to just put it out there real quickly. Um, you, you know, what is MC, MCU doing mm-hmm. to make uh, more of an impact in Jeff City? besides us being here and, and, and talking about these things? And also, what can listeners do to take action and, and how can they connect uh, with, with what we're doing?
2: Well, we do have some online actions that people can take. We have a petition on illegal dumping uh, that people can sign uh, so that we demand a public hearing. Uh, we demand that the budget be there to solve the problem. We demand uh, that a restorative justice uh, approach be employed where people that harm our communities have to restore uh, you know, the, the cleanliness of the community by, by picking up what they did and uh, making amends to the neighbors that they've harmed. We, we also have uh, online actions to call for uh, our state representatives to co sponsor the Get the Lead Out of School Water Act uh, and to sign the testimony that we'll be turning in uh, at, at that hearing. People can put their names on that. You can find those, um, uh, the links to those petitions on our Facebook page or probably be tweeted out as well for those that do Twitter. Uh, and uh, you can subscribe to our newsletters by going to our website uh, and, uh, and sign up for something like the Environmental Justice Newsletter or the Break the Pipeline newsletter to find out what's happening on issues like expungement or, uh, or lead exposure, uh, clean air, clean water, uh, clean land. Uh, you, can, you can participate in the Environmental Justice Task Force where we work on some of those issues, and Alan can tell you a little bit about the Legislative Task Force.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so we're always looking for people to join up. Uh, you can send me an email. Uh, I'll even give my, my email address over the, the air here. It's Alan Harris Dalt. That's A-L-L-Y-N-H-A-R-R-I-S-D-A-U-L-T at gmail.com send me an email and we will get you connected with the legislative task force Uh, we we meet about once a month occasionally more than that but generally about once a month during the session to figure out what we need to do to create the kind of world that we all want to live in Uh, i will also add if if joining a, a a group for meetings is not your thing I still recommend that everybody gets to gets to know the name of your state representative, your state senator, and any other legislator on a more local level because you can have a lot more impact on the local stuff than you can federally. Federal is important, but focus on local. Uh, so get to know your state representative and your state senator and call them. I can just about guarantee you that your state senator and your state representative will love to hear that call. The first time I called my state representative, it was basically, I don't know what to do about this thing. I'm mad about it and and I need some direction. And she called me back and we had a fantastic conversation about that. And, and it was really helpful and I had no idea what I was doing, but do get involved as much as you can. And it really is as simple as starting with, send Alan an email or get to know the name of your representative and senator.
0: Okay, great. I want to thank our guests today, uh, JMO, organizer and lead campaign strategist for MCU, and Alan Harris-Dalt, a leader with the MCU Legislative Task Force. Are you ready to join us in this work for justice in the St. Louis area and Missouri, the entire state? Contact us at 314-367-3484 or at email us at office at mcustl.com learn more about us and contribute to metropolitan congregations united on our website mcustlewis.org and also be sure to follow us on facebook twitter and instagram for news and events i'm kevin Prang, and you've been listening to this is what democracy sounds like tune in again next time and thank you for listening